with us, if you want to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, near the back of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, uh, we are in chapter 4, chapter 5. We went through the end of chapter 4 last week, but we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. Um, Last week, we've been in a series, this is actually part 7 of the book of Hebrews. Just as a short synopsis, this book was written to Jewish Christians who had turned their back on the Jewish faith and accepted Christ. Okay, they knew that Jesus came as a fulfillment of their faith, and so they accepted that, but they faced hardship, they faced persecution, they faced death, they faced uh, loss of property, loss of friends and family. And so because of that, they were considering turning their back on Jesus and going back to the Jewish faith to make life easier for them. But the writer of Hebrews writes to them to remind them, to encourage them that Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's a better covenant. He's the best high priest. Jesus is better. Basically what he's teaching them is don't let the difficulties of life cause you to think that there's a better way. There is no way better than Jesus. No matter what cost. There's nothing better. And last week, and in fact, the last two weeks, we've looked at Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter three, and the importance of hearing God's voice regularly, hearing his voice daily, that God wants to speak to us. We've talked about the idea of learning to rest in the finished work of Christ. Yes, we need to be obedient to the word of God, but at the same time, my salvation does not depend on my strength to be obedient. It is from beginning to end on Jesus, okay? So that sets us free from shame and guilt and insecurity and fear. We come to the the throne, and this is where we ended last week, and we get mercy. That means God withholds his judgment against our sin because of what Christ did. We get mercy, and we receive grace, the empowerment to live out this holy life. So in Hebrews chapter four, this is where we're gonna pick up, right where we left off last week, starting in verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So... Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Every high priest, we're in chapter five now, is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. He is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses, meaning he himself is ignorant and wayward. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. No one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become a high priest. Did you catch that? Christ didn't even assume he could take that honor. He was chosen by God who said to him, this is from the Old Testament, you are my son, 
Today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse seven, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there is so much in this passage that we could talk about. And the teacher side of me wants to spend six weeks just on this short passage. But I have to give you kind of a brief synopsis, an introduction, if you will, to some of what he's saying. I can't go into depth. And then we're going to look at verses 7 through 10 specifically. And we're going to look at two things from the life of Jesus that if you and I are going to be successful in our following Jesus, we need to do just like he did. Okay, so first of all, let's kind of talk about this high priest because it says that Jesus is called to be our great high priest. The passage tells us that the high priest is someone who goes, on be, on, goes to God on behalf of the people. He offers God their gifts. He offers sacrifices for their sins. He cannot choose it. God chose them. God chose Aaron and his descendants to be his priests. Now, if you go back to the book of Exodus, this was not what God originally wanted. He wanted his entire nation to be a kingdom of priests to represent him to the world. But at Mount Sinai, they didn't want that. They rejected that because the cost was too great. And so instead, he gave them a tribe of priests that represented them to him. And they never really represented him to the world. But if you fast forward to 1 Peter chapter 2, we now, through Jesus, have become a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's us. Not me. I'm not the royal priesthood. I am as a people belonging to God. But all of us are called to be his priests, representing him to those that are lost, okay? So then he talks about this Melchizedek because Jesus did not come through the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. It was prophesied that Judah, the firstborn, would bring the Messiah, the king, if you will, over Israel. So he doesn't come through Aaron's descendants. He comes through Melchizedek. Now, we're going to talk about this guy Melchizedek in the future. But if you want to throw up that first passage from Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to talk about him uh, later on in, the, in Hebrews. But this is this Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem. He was a priest of God. He shows up in the book of Genesis to Abraham and Abraham gives him a tithe and look at the bottom of the scripture. There's no record of his father. There's no record of his mother or any of his ancestors. There's no beginning or no end. He remains a priest forever resembling the son of God, just showing us God's pattern from beginning to end. And we'll talk more about Melchizedek and who he is, but this is the line, this is the priesthood that God chose Jesus to come through. No beginning, no end, no father, no mother. He comes in the order of Melchizedek and he represents us to God. Now, Jesus is God. And so 
in order for him to sympathize with us. Because remember, the high priest was able to sympathize with the people because he was an ignorant and wayward people too. And so it was easy for him to have compassion on these ignorant, wayward people because he was one. Jesus wouldn't know what that was like because he's the son of God. He's perfect. So he set aside his rights and privileges as God and he came as a human being to be tested in the exact same ways that you and I are tested so that he could sympathize with us so that he would know what we face just like that high priest. The only difference is he never sinned. So he no longer, he, no, he did not have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin he only offered a sacrifice, his blood, for our sin. Later in Hebrews, as we'll talk about again, Jesus goes into not the tabernacle that Moses built, not the temple that Solomon built, but he goes into the temple of heaven where there is a holy place, the mercy seat where God is, and he takes his blood and he sprinkles it on that mercy seat once and for all. No more sacrifices need to be made because Jesus did it once for all, and now you and I, because of that, can come boldly to the throne of God and receive mercy and grace because of that. That's good news. I'm glad Marv thinks that's good news. Because that's good news. And we hear it so often, sometimes we forget how good of news that is. So fast forward now to verses 7 through 10. Because Jesus, as the scriptures tell us in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's our example. We should follow in his steps. John tells us that if we're going to live in God, we should live like Jesus lived. And so in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, there's two things that this writer gives us that Jesus did that we need to do as his followers. The first one is, we need to learn to pray like Jesus. The passage says, while Jesus was on earth, he offered up prayers with loud cries and tears, meaning it was passionate, it was fervent, it wasn't just an intellectual, Lord, um, I pray today um, that, well, um, let me think of something. It doesn't matter the words he used. What matters is his heart was crying out to God based on the truth of who God is and his word. Interestingly, in the book of James, we're told that Elijah prayed fervently, not in some rote form, but he prayed fervently for God to hear his prayer. What did he pray for? He prayed that it would rain even though God already promised it would rain. He prayed fervently for it to rain and he was heard. And then James says the fervent prayer of a righteous man produces results. Now, it doesn't mean that our prayers have to be wildly emotional. It doesn't mean that they have to be so loud and boisterous, but it means that we need to pray with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We need to pray with fervency, with passion, believing that there are wrongs that need to be righted, that God has set before us a table of promises, and those promises need to come to pass in our lives and in the lives of others. And it doesn't matter if God promised it. It doesn't matter that God says, I desire that all men come to salvation. He needs you and I to start praying for those people to come to salvation. He needs you and I to start praying like Jesus prayed. Interestingly enough, 
The most in-depth prayer we have recorded of Jesus comes from Luke chapter 22, where he's in Gethsemane. We're not recorded how he prayed. So Jesus prays in Gethsemane, and let's read it together. Luke chapter 22, he walked away from his disciples about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to his disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give into temptation. Now, I'm not saying if we work ourselves into enough of a frenzy that we could get sweat and drops of blood to be produced that God's gonna hear us. But I think if we start catching this fervency and this passion that Jesus had, that many times our prayers are not going to be just nice little, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep prayers. Something on the inside of us is gonna start connecting with God and our prayers are going to have fervency. We don't just pray fervently to get our our prayers heard but if we seek God our prayers will be fervent does that make sense now we're told here that an angel as Jesus prays comes and ministers to him Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 we heard that angels minister to people because what I what you might not understand from this passage is it says that Jesus was heard because of his reverence for God that reverence for God just means that he believed God would hear him and answer him. That's what it means. The fact that Jesus prays proved he has a reverence for God. See, there are a lot of believers today that claim to have reverence for God, claim to have faith in God, but we don't pray. Can I tell you, if we don't pray, we really don't have faith in God. James says, if you say it with your mouth, but you don't back it up with your life, you don't really believe. If you believe God answers prayer, we would pray. And we wouldn't just pray nice prayers. We would pray fervent prayers. We would lay hold of the promises that God has set before us and we would not let go until we see justice. And in the meantime, he's gonna send his angels to minister to us. In the meantime, he's gonna give us grace and strength to obey him all the way to the cross if need be. If you notice... The disciples are sleeping. Jesus told them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. When Jesus went to the cross and he was strengthened to go to the cross, where were the disciples? Falling away. Thankfully, after Jesus rose from the dead, he explained the scriptures, they caught it, they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts, they learned to pray. They learned to pray, they learned to call out to God, they learned to fast, they sought God, and God intervened on their behalf. We need to learn to pray like Jesus. In Luke chapter four and in Matthew chapter four, we're told the story of Jesus' temptation. He used fasting and prayer to overcome temptation. 
He fasted and prayed for 40 days and as a result, he overcame temptation. Compare that to his warning to the disciples to fast and pray or to pray here so they would not fall to temptation. Jesus overcame temptation. If, you, if we are having trouble overcoming temptation in our lives, can I tell you that prayer is the only way you are gonna win that battle? And not just one prayer, but you're gonna pray and you're gonna pray and you're gonna keep finding mercy and you're gonna keep finding grace until you overcome that thing. Amen, I'll help myself today. Jesus taught this to his disciples. In Mark chapter nine, when they were faced with a situation that they could not produce results in, Jesus said, hey, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Up to this point, guys, you've been riding my coattails. Up to this point, you've just been relying on me. You need to learn this for yourself is what he's trying to teach them here. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 11. I tell you, though the man won't get up and do this for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Why? Because that type of relentless pursuit is true faith. And as we do that, as we pursue him, as we keep asking, it produces in us the type of character just like it produced it in Jesus or proved it in Jesus, if you will. Jesus then tells us in Luke chapter 18, a parable that we would always pray and not lose heart or not give up. And hear what he says. Will not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he really find reverence on the earth? See, Jesus was heard because of his reverence for God. He believed God. He knew that he, and if Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed to pray while he was on the earth, how much more do you and I need it? See, we think sometimes that the cross nullifies our need to pray. Nullif I mean, we don't have to do anything. We just have to come to the cross. Yes, and you gotta keep coming. You gotta keep coming to the throne. You gotta keep asking. You gotta keep recognizing that you can't do this on your own. You need mercy. You need grace every single day. And so we don't pray because it's the right thing to do. We don't pray because, you know, I want to be a good Christian. We pray because if we don't pray, we don't go anywhere. We don't pull up to the gas station or we don't sit in our car when it runs out of gas and say, you know, I think it's legalism that I got to fill up with gas all the time. No, the tank is empty, so we put gas in it. The tank is empty when we stop coming daily to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace. Jesus, before he made decisions, like choosing his 12 apostles, prayed all night. He prayed all night before he made that choice. How many of us make a decision on a whim with no prayer? Thinking, well, we don't need to pray. If the Son of God needed to pray, we need to pray. Last scripture from prayer. Jesus' fame spreads throughout the countryside. And you would think he would have less time to pray because he's got more needs to meet, more people to see, more, more 
people to heal. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If we don't learn to pray like Jesus, we won't see the results that Jesus saw in our lives. So we come and we receive mercy. We come and we receive grace because the second thing that Jesus did that we need to do is we need to learn to obey like Jesus. We need to learn to obey like Jesus. And if that's gonna be possible, grace will be essential. And the way, where do we find grace? We ask for it. Otherwise known as prayer. Prayer is simply asking God. You can stop in the middle of your day a thousand times and pray. Should you have a quiet time every day? Absolutely. But you need to learn that we pray without ceasing. That when we need help, we go to the throne. When we make a mistake, we go to the throne. We pray without ceasing. Because if we're going to obey like Jesus, we have to learn to pray like Jesus. Because if we don't, we won't obey like him. In Hebrews chapter five here, we're told that Jesus had to learn obedience. And through this learning, he was qualified to be our perfect high priest. That's, that's kind of interesting. I don't think of Jesus, the son of God, the perfect son of God, needing to learn anything. I mean, didn't he create the world? Doesn't he have all the answers? He knows it all, right? So why does he need to learn anything? Well, see, our idea of learning is because in our environments of learning, we get all of these facts and we read things and we put them all in our brains and then they give us a piece of paper and we write down everything we learned. And we call that learning. That's not learning. Learning is not the ability to regurgitate facts in a clinical environment. Learning is the ability to take those facts and put them into practice in our real lives. In other words, when I go into a place, if I say, here's my degree, I have learned all these things. But then as I sit down and I start doing that job, if they begin to realize I can't apply any of those things, I'm not doing the job, then they're going to fire me. The test of whether I've learned it or not is the ability to put it into practice. So when it says Jesus learned obedience, it means he had to be given the opportunity to show his obedience to the Father. It, it means he had to be put in situations where he wanted to do one thing, but his obedience was tested. I don't want to go to the cross, he prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus could have come to earth and the father could have had him born into a wealthy family. He could have had him born into privilege. He would have been able to keep his rights and privileges as the son of God. I mean, he could have, it could have been a whole different plan. But see, there's this man known as the accuser of the brethren. And we read about him in the book of Job. And Job is this guy on earth who's living this good life. And, and Satan says to God, you've always put this wall of protection around Job. And if you... You've made him prosper and you've made him rich, but if you take away everything that he has, he's gonna curse you to your face. You're, test his obedience and see if he really loves you. And that's exactly what God does with Jesus. Jesus is born into poverty. Jesus is born into that situation. He lays aside his rights and privileges as God. He comes to this earth. He has no special treatment. He faces everything that we face. He's betrayed by a friend. And then he not only dies, go to Philippians chapter one and two and read this. He not only dies, but he faces a criminal's death. 
He faces a horrific, agonizing, torturous death. Meaning his obedience was put to the ultimate test. And he stayed faithful. He obeyed even to the point of death. A humbling death on the cross. And that's good news for us. Because because of that, he was qualified as our perfect high priest. And he is now able to intercede for you and I. And his blood was able once and for all to redeem us. But what we cannot forget is that he was our example. And in the same way, I love that Mark shared today, he prayed on his bed, my life is yours, not my will, yours be done. That's salvation. We have dumbed down salvation to say, Jesus loves you so much he died on a cross, just ask him to come and live in your heart. You won't find that in this book. What you will find is, die to your desires. Stop doing things your way. Turn to him and realize you can't do it anymore. Put your faith and trust in him and then ask for grace to do it his way. Not just keep living your way. Ask for grace to do it his way. Because his way hasn't changed. And his way is through hardships and difficulties, through trials, through pain. The idea that we're going to accept Jesus in our hearts and then our life is always going to go the way we want doesn't, doesn't match the reality of the scripture. Our obedience to God is tested in those moments of hardship. Our obedience to God is tested when we have a stronger desire to disobey than we do to obey. It's not tested when everything is the way I like. My obedience to God is not tested when it's the decision that I want to make, when it's the decision that makes the most sense, when it's practical. It's when it's hard. In James chapter 1, the most common scripture that we refer to for suffering, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. We obey no matter what. No matter what. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, I love this because I'm a teacher and I thought about not putting this in here, but I did because I love it. I read this this week. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. He wanted them to learn. I'm the God that meets every one of your needs. Come to me. And he gave them enough manna for how much? One day. One day so that every day you keep coming back. And now we think Jesus died on the cross and I can stop coming to the throne of God. I no longer need, God, I'll only call on you for the big needs. No, every day, every day, you do not live by bread alone. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
every moment of every day. We come to the throne for mercy and for grace because he is disciplining us. He's training us. He's developing our character. Peter, in his books, his letters that he wrote, if, you, if you've never read the books of 1 and 2 Peter, it feels like all Peter talks about is suffering, which is interesting because he's the guy that didn't want Jesus to suffer, remember? He's the guy that didn't do very well with this suffering thing, but apparently after the Holy Spirit came into his life, he caught it. Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. When your faith remains strong through many trials. Now remember, that word faith isn't just God's gonna come and bail you out. It's obedience. When your faith, when your obedience remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, this isn't a take this pill and feel real better kind of a thing. This isn't going to help you in the midst of your trials to feel better because you're still going to hate the trial. You're still going to have the anxiety. You're still going to have the fear. You're still going to, but it's going to put this in front of you, reminding you he's working your faith, your character. He's never going to let you go. Keep obeying him in these ways. Jesus was tested the same way that you and I are tested, and yet he did not sin. 1 Peter chapter 4. Christ suffered physical pain. So you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. I don't know if you shared that verse with people at the fair. I found often at the fair when I asked people about their faith, it was Jesus is in my heart. Jesus is in my heart. And I love how Mark just said, well, is Jesus ruling your heart? And is Jesus in charge of your heart? Or is he just in there? And because uh, that's the key. He doesn't want to just come in and just hang out there. He's asking you to say, lay down your life for him. When Jesus laid down his life and was obedient to death on the cross, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone. When you and I learn this and we're obedient to God through suffering, through pain, through hardship, through difficulty, we become salvation not only for ourselves but for others as well. But if we respond to those difficulties the same way the world responds to those difficulties, what's that? Love your enemies. Be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Forgive those just as you have been forgiven by your Father. You know what the true test of whether or not we've received mercy from God is? How merciful we've been to others. See, we all want to come to the throne and receive mercy but the true test that we really understand it and we've received mercy from God is when we release that to others. And in the same way, we don't deserve his mercy, neither do those who we release it to. We need to stop waiting for them to measure up before we release mercy to them. Verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at these trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad 
For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Now, there are some teachings out there that try to make us inflict pain on ourselves because, you know, if you, if you put yourself in painful situations, then you're more holy. You don't have to do that. Just serve Jesus, okay? Just go after him with a relentless passion and you are going to find yourself in situations where your faith is going to be tested. So please don't run and look for it. It will find you, I promise you. But, and when it finds you, don't be surprised by it. Don't think, what is this that's happening to me? This is what's supposed to happen to us. We're being tested in the same way he is. And if we learn to pray like Jesus, we're going to be able to learn to obey like Jesus. Two final scriptures. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. What Paul understood was that our, our endurance, our faith, is made strong through these moments of testing, through these trials. And the only way you and I are going to stand up under them is by receiving grace. Grace is the power to obey. So we come to the throne of God. We receive his grace. We receive his mercy and we overcome. If you and I are going to be successful in our Christian lives, we have to learn to pray like Jesus. I promise you, every one of us in this room has not yet learned to pray like Jesus. We need to pray. Sometimes we need to repent of prayerlessness. We need to repent of the fact that, God, we don't have our confidence in you. We are trying to do this in our own strength. And when we repent of that, the scripture says God comes in mercy. He brings refreshing to us, if you will. And so today, as we come to the end of this message, this passage, and we, we look at our lives. How are we measuring up? Are we praying like Jesus? I'm guessing no. Are we obeying like Jesus? Again, I'm guessing no. I know what it is to put yourself in a situation and have the pressure on and react in a way that you shouldn't react or be disobedient in that moment and to be able to rationalize it and say, well, I only did that because of this or I only... We come to the throne and we say, God, I didn't act like Jesus in that moment. And you know what God gives us in that moment? Mercy. Mercy. He does not want to count our sins against us. He did not send his son to this earth to just hold us under his thumb. But the enemy will tell you not to confess it. You, you were right. I mean, you can hold on to that. You can slander that person. That's no big deal. They deserve it. They deserve that slander. You keep talking about them behind their back. I mean, you're just sharing a prayer request right now. 
That's what the enemy will do. And God says, that's not how we've been called to live. We've been called to live as his obedient children. We've been called to live as his perfect children, heirs of Christ Jesus, just like him. And so we come to the throne and we receive mercy. We don't make excuses. We receive his mercy. And then we receive his grace, his power to transform our lives, to stop. That's why all through the New Testament, we're told, stop doing this. This is how you used to live as a Gentile. Stop doing that. You know why he tells us to stop? Because we have been given grace to stop. The question is, will we come to the throne to receive his mercy and his grace and put it into practice? Stand with me as we close. Father, I thank you today for the cross. Jesus, I thank you for willingly coming to this earth, for giving your life for us. While we were your enemies, you came. You laid aside the rights and privileges of God. You humbled yourself. You became one of us. You faced everything we face, every temptation, every trial, every difficulty. You face it, every betrayal. You face it. And yet, you were without sin. And your blood was shed for us so that today we can receive mercy. We recognize we don't deserve it, but we receive it freely because of what you've done for us. God, we want your grace today. We want to live as your obedient children. We know, we recognize through your word today that you created us for something more than what we're living. You've created us so that the world can see your glory. Help us not to make excuses in these moments of trial and pain, hardship and difficulty. Help us to be obedient to you. When our flesh wants to be disobedient, when our flesh wants to do what we want to do, God, we recognize that's who we used to be. That's not who we are as your sons and daughters. And so we come today to find mercy and we come today to find grace. As we get ready to close, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this word. If you're here today and you're struggling with guilt, with shame, condemnation, you need to come to the throne and receive mercy. I'm going to ask you if that's you. I want you just to slip out and I want you to come to this altar. I want you to kneel. I want you to find a place and say, God, I need, I come for mercy today. If you've been living in sin and you recognize it, don't let guilt, don't let condemnation, don't let shame cover you right now, but come to the throne and receive mercy. If you need his grace to overcome an addiction, you need his grace to forgive someone. You need his grace to walk in holiness. You need his grace for whatever it is. The list could go on and on. There's sin in your life that contradicts the word. You've been rationalizing it. You've been excusing it. Maybe you've been fighting it with everything in you. But today you need to come and say, God, I need your grace. There's nothing magical about this front. But you need to come. If all you do today is hear my words 
and say, I'm just gonna put that in there or I'll deal with it later when I get home. Chances are, when you walk out this door, there's an enemy that's gonna come and try to snatch away what we've just shared together. There's an enemy that's gonna come and bring thorns into your life. He's gonna bring busyness and other things and this is gonna get neglected. Don't wait, come to the throne. It's not whether or not you said amen. It's not whether or not you agreed with what I've said today. It's whether or not you come to the throne and say, God, today I need mercy and today I need grace. So don't wait, just come, just come. God, today I need your mercy. God, today I need your grace. Come to that table and take what he's offered. Father, we need your grace. We need your grace. Holy Spirit, we need your empowerment to pray like Jesus. Forgive us of our prayerlessness. We need your mercy. We've been so often trying to do things in our own strength, in our own power, in our own abilities. And yet you've told us over and over again to call on you, to cry out to you, to trust you, to be obedient to you. God, give us mercy today. Give us your grace. Empower us, empower us to reflect your glory in this world. Empower us to forgive those who've hurt us. Empower us to turn away from those addictions that hold us, to break those chains once and for all. Empower us today. Empower us today. God, I thank you that you hear us when we cry out to you. You promised us in your word that a bruised reed you wouldn't break and a smoldering wick you wouldn't snuff out. So I pray today, pour out your mercy in this place. Pour out your grace as we ask you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to be dismissed, uh, please do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer. When you need to be dismissed, uh, just save your visiting for the foyer. Uh, God bless you as you go today. Christ alone, my hope.